section two of flower patch among the hills this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by kathleen flower patch among the hills by flora glickman about getting there part two we always consider that emancipation takes place at one exact spot on the great western railway the only difficulty is that virginia and i never agree as to which is the exact spot virginia insists that the air suddenly changes just beyond chepstow station where we change from the london and south wales main line to the local train that two or three times a day weekdays only runs through our particular valley like a small boy's toy affair this train which makes up in black smoke for what it lacks of other dignity steams out of the main line junction with an important snort and rumble over the bridge it goes and the stranger would imagine it was well under way but no it then comes to a standstill at the point where the main line and the valley line meet in order that the gentleman who lives we presume in the signal box but who is always standing on the railway line when we see him may hand to our engine driver a metal staff some sort of a key they tell me which is said to unlock the single railway line i don't pretend to understand the process myself i only know that our engine driver looks lovingly at it as though it were the apple of his eye i've craned my head out of the window that's how i know and clasps it to his chest until he gets to the first station on the valley line where he hands it over to the station-master who in turn gives him another one to which he clings just as pathetically in this leisurely way we proceed up the valley it wouldn't have any deep significance but for the fact that virginia maintains it is the first key that unlocks the imprisoned ego within her and sets her soul free from the trammels and shackles and cobwebs and chains hampering warping and enmeshing her that have been riveted by the blighting tendencies of london and a lot more to the same effect she says she feels the fetters burst directly that key is handed over for she knows then that the train is beyond the possibility of making a mistake and getting back on to the london main line again instead of the single pair of valley rails then it is that the air becomes fresher than ever the primroses that grow all up the rocks just beyond the signal box are very much finer than those on the junction side the sweet betsy alias red valerian starts to drape the ledges with rosy crimson as soon as the signal man walks back up the wooden steps to his cabin and virginia herself becomes a different being though opinions are painfully divided as to whether the change is for the better or for the worse she says she feels just like the lord mayor or the speaker in the house of commons with a myrmidon going on ahead of her bearing the mace we just let her talk on when she gets light-headed like this after all this rod of office which the engine driver cherishes is what virginia waits for through four hours of express train six if you go by a slow one and the spot where he receives it on the line is where she develops a beatific smile of wondrous amiability for me the chains snap a little further on 
after the driver has received his key of office the train meanders peacefully through west country orchards placid meadows and tawny gold cornfields past grey-brown haystacks past little cottages each with its pigsty and scratting hens and a clothesline displaying pinafores and sundry other garments only mentioned sato voice in the paper pattern section of ladies papers small hatless yellow-haired children gathering daisies or cowslips in adjoining fields wave at us as we go by then the engine braces itself for a mighty effort and gives a business-like shriek on its whistle this is the great exploit of the whole journey as it plunges into a very long dark clattering tunnel cut through solid rock here we sit in the breathless darkness for several minutes to emerge finally upon scenery so unlike that we left behind at the entrance to the tunnel as to suggest that we had entered another country gone are the cornfields the gentle undulations gone the farms and cottages the hayricks and barns almost in sheer precipices the rocks rise up from the rushing winding river in the valley below clothed from summit to base with forest trees the train now an insignificant atom on the face of nature puffs vigorously along a ledge cut halfway up the face of these giant hills from the windows on one side of the train you look down upon a world of rocks trees and water to the horseshoe bend where the river turns and twists and doubles back on itself again not a house is in sight the windows on the other side show more gray rocks rising up out of sight with trees growing where you would scarcely think they could find root hold much less food to live and thrive on and where it is bare stone and there are no trees the scarred and jagged surface of the rocks due to far-away earth wrens and more modern rock slides is lovingly swathed and festooned with trails of traveller's joy and ivy and irony while ferns and foxgloves wild strawberries and mother of millions flourish on the narrow ledges and sprout out from sheltered crannies such a mist of delicate loveliness veiling all that is grim and cold and hard even the wooden posts from which wire is stretched to fence off the railway company's land from the adjoining woods are entirely covered with a living mosaic of small leaved ivy patterned with no two scrolls alike in a way that human hand could never copy below there is always the river that swirls and rushes noisily at low tide over its weirs a heron stands motionless on a gray-green moss-covered boulder near the bank he looks up at the little train but it is too far away to worry him he and a kite circling high overhead are the only signs of life to be seen as one passes along yet the whole earth is teeming with small folk furred and feathered the rarest of butterflies are glinting over the rocks the otter is hiding down in the river pools and from time to time a salmon leaps into the air a flash a streak of silver and a series of eddying ripples that is all this is the spot where for me a new life begins where unconsciously i draw my breath with a deep intake and suddenly feel the past slipping from me the noise and din the sordidness and care of the city fade into the background and become nothing more substantial than some remote nightmare here in this valley of peace and quietness my dreams become realities 
and best of all here god seems to lay his hand on tired heart and tired brain and i find myself saying this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing we had just witnessed the presentation of the first key as usual virginia and i had been arguing no that isn't the right word i never argue i merely discuss things intelligently at any rate we had been exchanging views that differed as to the exact place where we noticed the great change come over ourselves in particular and things in general as we didn't get any nearer a final settlement we appealed to ursula who was sitting silent with a faraway look in her eyes as of one engaged in bridging space and measuring the stars she came back to earth however at our question and said she was absolutely sure the moment of her great transformation was when she got hold of a cup of proper domestic tea as distinct from the indigested railway variety indeed for the past few minutes she had been entirely absorbed in the mental contemplation of the meal she hoped abigail would soon be preparing even then she could smell the sizzling ham and the frying eggs and the buttered toast we should have on arrival we were in the sulphurous depths of the tunnel at the moment naturally i was hurt as i said to her i knew my board was frugal and my viands simple modest unaffected and unassuming but at least they didn't smell like that fortunately she hadn't much time to explain what she did and what she didn't mean for we came out of the tunnel into the panorama of hills and silence no one ever talks much just here save the braying type of tourist besides there is the abbey to watch for no matter how many times you may see that you always wait expectantly for the moment when you catch the first glimpse of the wonderful gray ruin the abbey makers of the olden days not only knew how to build but they also knew how to place their beautiful structures and the setting of our abbey is as nearly perfect as anything can be in this world the steep hills recede a little bit just at one bend of the river leaving room for a broad green meadow between the water and the uprising steeps here the abbey was placed a babbling river in the foreground dark larch-covered hills in the background surely it is no fanciful exaggeration to think that the beauty all around them must have influenced the men who raised that wonderful poem in stone i would like to take you into the abbey and show you the beautiful views that can be seen from every ruined window each one a framed picture in itself the spray of oak leaves carved on one piece of stone the live snapdragons growing out of buttresses the graceful spring of each slender arch the perfect proportions of the whole building for despite the cruel wreckage it suffered in the past it is still the most lovely gothic ruin in england but to-day we can't stay the train hurries on through another short tunnel over a bridge spanning the river and a talkative weir and then into our station in the summer there is a good deal of bustle in this station which is the haunt of many tourists i am told that five out of every ten visitors are from the united states no american thinks of doing england without seeing our valley which is famous for its scenery and its ruins thus you always find a number of women in trim short waists 
and wearing large chiffon veils on the top of their hats at angles quite unknown to the english woman sitting on the platform about train time writing the usual budget of picture postcards but we aren't foreigners as the natives styles everyone who doesn't belong to their village that is one of the many charms of arriving at this station here no one regards us merely as passengers who can't find their luggage or passengers who have changed where they had no business to or passengers who expect the local porter to know by heart all the railway connections and times of return trains throughout the british isles neither are we among the people who look suspiciously at every wagonette driver certain that he is going to overcharge and uncertain as to which is likely to overcharge the least we have no anxieties concerning the truth of the advertised merits of the various hotels and apartments to let in the village we belong there is a sense of homecoming in our arrival the porters actually rush forward to help with our luggage and the station-master raises his cap old bob who occupies the doubly proud position of being the only one among the fly proprietors who displays a pair of steeds attached to his vehicle while he is also the only one who usually drives what he describes as the elite is waiting with his wagonette and a pair don't forget and a card for the luggage it really is comforting to be claimed by someone at the end of a journey if it be but the wagonette driver i feel so solitary such an orphan when i chance to arrive alone at some strange place in quest of a holiday possibly unknown to a single person but the landlady-to-be don't you know the sinking feeling that comes over you as you look around upon the crowds of people some scrambling in and some scrambling out of the train every face a blank so far as you are concerned no one to trouble whether you ever get any further or whether you remain in that jostling turmoil for ever you almost wish you could get into the train and go back to town again you reflect that there at least the butcher knows you and the people next door and the crossing sweeper at the corner you revive after having some tea but it is possible to spend a very doleful homesick quarter of an hour between the time you get out of the train and the time you sit down to a meal in some strange room whose painful unlikeness to the ones you live in accentuates your loneliness but that never happens to us in our valley before we have got out of our compartment abigail is already on the platform and holding a levee consisting of two porters the signal man the assistant engine driver from a goods train in the siding and old bob's nephew who drives the cart all lend a hand as she proceeds to marshal the luggage and with a peremptory wave of her umbrella directs its disposal of course there really isn't much luggage that is one of the advantages of retreating to your own secluded cottage being off the beaten track as we are there is no necessity to take many toilets either demi or semi or a large variety of lounge robes or matinees or boudoir negligees or rest frocks or tea gowns or cocoa coats or evening wraps built of chiffon and really necessary handy things of that sort all we take with us is just a few clothes to wear 
on one occasion virginia did bring down a long article i don't know what else to call it composed of about ten yards of white net embroidered here and there with large beads an artificial rose sewn on to one corner of the curtain-like thing a gilt metal fringe suggestive of shoelace tags all around the edges she couldn't quite understand how she came by it she said she remembered an energetic ultra-elegant shop assistant somewhere displaying it before her with the information that it was a slumber swirl and assuring her condescendingly that it was the very latest and absolutely sweet and just the thing for outdoors in the summer virginia said she agreed with her she was sure knowing her own sweet and plastic disposition she would certainly have agreed with her she was thankful to say she wasn't one of those people who perpetually disagree with other people but she had no recollection of having attached her name and address to the wisp much less of having paid for it still the energetic damsel had sent it home and here it was ursula after one glance at the confection hastily turned her eyes away and announced that for her part she didn't consider it well quite adequate her sister explained that it wasn't supposed to be worn that way and she arranged herself with closed eyes on the sofa to show us how it would look when draped over her head and all as she rested in the hammock it took a lot of adjusting so as to avoid getting some knobbly bead motif just under her ear and to prevent the shoelace tags attacking the underside of the face and when she had at last found a spot of unembellished net on which to lay her rose-leaf cheek she was afraid to move for fear of splitting the frail net ursula merely snorted when next i saw the slumber swirl part of it had been converted into a meat safe of irreproachable moral character ursula having utilized the frame of our getting worn out one for the purpose no our luggage is only trifling and only consists of just what we need abigail takes mine and her own to paddington in a bus which also picks up the luggage of the other two girls en route individually the details do not seem much but i confess when i see it dumped all together on the platform the aggregate looks somewhat nondescript there will be four large hat-boxes or five if abigail brings more than one anything from three to seven trunks abigail's collapsible straw basket a bundle of umbrellas and sunshades the dog in his travelling basket a chip basket containing pots of mysterious seedlings virginia has been specially raising in town which usually get upset once or twice on the way and have been known to turn out docks there is sure to be a cardboard box for one of abigail's best jap silk sunday frocks that she doesn't want to get crushed a string bag containing abigail's novels and snippety weeklies her crochet a few oranges two bananas some chocolate and whatever other refreshment she will need on the journey a brown paper parcel holding a few articles of wearing apparel also belonging to abigail that she only remembered at the last minute and cook did up for her then ursula is sure to bring some contribution to the larder perhaps tomatoes and a cake naturally there is our lunch basket and i personally never feel complete unless i have my leather dispatch box beside me i also take a suitcase containing my mackintosh 
in case it rains when i arrive books and papers which i never read knitting and similar necessities for the journey it is also useful as a final receptacle for oddments i omitted to pack elsewhere virginia and ursula bring similar suitcases for similar reasons sometimes abigail springs surprises on us at the last minute whatever have you there i asked one day as she joined us on the paddington platform a jangling parcel in one hand that sounded like a badly cracked bell and a large protrusion silent fortunately embraced in the other arm oh this is just amusing pale shaking the musical packet we need an extra one and i've put in a little iron shovel as i want one for my kitchen scuttle and there's a nutmeg grater too the one down there is getting rusty and this nodding towards her chest is an enamel washing up bowl our big one down there leaks and she proceeded serenely on her way to the accompaniment of iron shovel clink clanking against a zinc pail with a nutmeg grater tin tin nabulating cheerfully in a higher key and evidently pleased at the public interest she was arousing not that her surprises are always so useful on one occasion i noticed she had brought two collapsible straw baskets but concluded she had some very special new frocks for the flower show the porter disposed of the luggage while abigail was looking the bookstall over when she returned and found both baskets missing she rushed to the guard's van soon things were being dragged out again abigail excitedly urging haste the guard helped abigail assisting with much conversation eventually she lugged one basket up to her own compartment scorning the help of the penitent porter as she passed my compartment a heart-rending meow came from the basket what in the world i began it's only angelina abigail explained she hasn't seemed well lately i thought a change of air might do her good only it gave me a bit of a fright when i found they'd put her in the van thinking she was luggage incidentally angelina is my cat being my own place and not someone else's we are going to it occasionally happens that there are items of furnishing that need to go down a mirror for instance that is too large to pack in a trunk strictly speaking the railway company might be within their rights if they argued that such things could not legitimately be called passengers luggage but virginia said with regard to the mirror four feet by two that if they objected to take it she should tell them every woman is entitled to carry a mirror among her personal luggage fortunately no one so far has objected to any of the details of our impedimenta so long as the excess charges are promptly paid we usually go down with the same guard i tell him what the contraband is he carries the parcel off majestically assuring me that his one eye won't leave it all the way down no matter where the other may be focused and he begs me to have no anxiety as to its safety i haven't i know from long experience that the guards and officials on the g w r have elevated politeness and courtesy from a mere duty to a fine art sometimes i almost wish they wouldn't take quite such care of our things there was the brown pitcher for instance i had been wanting a very large one for fetching the water from the spring outside the cottage gate of course i know you can get big enamel jugs painted duck egg blue or anything else in the art line that you fancy 
but the latter seemed so strident so townified so newly rich so overdressed when you see them beside our moss-grown wooden spout where the mountain spring splashes down into a stony hollow among ferns and long mosses the sturdy but humble brown pitcher tones in better with the pale yellow sand in the bottom of the hollow the browns and greys and greens of the stones and growing things all round the very water falls into it with a mellow musical sound instead of the hollow tinny ring that the enamelled creature gives forth but i couldn't see one in the village shop as big as i required ursula however ran against the very thing unexpectedly in town the only difficulty was the packing so she decided to carry it just as it was virginia expressed a sincere hope that she would at least tie a pale blue bow on the handle she got it safely as far as paddington but here an iron pillar suddenly ran alongside and torpedoed the pitcher so she said knocking a small but very business-like hole clean through its bulging side then the question arose what was she to do with the remnants the train was due to start in two minutes so she hadn't time to inquire for the station dustbin virginia suggested that she should try to induce the bookstall boy to accept it as payment for a packet of milk chocolate failing that she had better put an advertisement in the paper offering a wonderful specimen of antique roman pottery in exchange for a sable motoring coat or a cartload of white mice what she did do was to leave it tidily on the nearest seat with the intention of bestowing sixpence on the first porter she could waylay if he would make himself responsible for its after career but apparently every employee at paddington station had enlisted the whistle was blown and the train started to move slowly just as the vigilant eye of the guard fell upon the disabled crock his face lighted up he seized it rushed to the moving compartment containing ursula madam he gasped you have forgotten this and he thrust it into her arms she didn't dare try to leave it behind any more end of section two